This is the Enneagram 8 Podcast, and we're here to take you inside the armor. Uh, my friend Erin, it's been about 25 years now. We know each other pretty well, but what I didn't know, and probably should have, is that we're cut from a very similar cloth. As a kid, to me, it felt like the whole world made itself available to do her bidding. I watched her just make things happen. I was pretty impressed that she didn't seem particularly interested in changing herself to fit in. She just was, and people wanted to be part of that. Erin is like me, but not like me. She wielded a kind of social power that not only was I incapable of doing, but I wasn't even interested in. Whereas I was cultivating one deep relationship at a time, she was creating little communities. She orchestrated camping trips and formal dinners and games of tag through the forest in her backyard. I liked that she was a place I could visit to tap into something I knew was missing inside me without having to stop being me. I'm grateful for Erin because she acts as a kind of mirror that reflects me back at me. She shows me what the best parts of being an eight look like and reminds me that they're a part of me too. And she also shows me my blind spots. I get to see what a social eight really looks like, what the benefits are, what the superpowers are. I'm happy for all of you that you get to meet her. She's an eight that does us all proud. This week is actually going to be all about Erin. So we... (laughs) She loves it. (laughs) Her time to shine. You know why I'm uncomfortable? Mostly because I'm afraid of saying something that will hurt someone in my past. Right. That's fair. That's healthy that you care. (laughs) See, people, we do care. Uh, Anyway, we thought that as two hosts of a podcast we hope to be vulnerable in, that it was important that you hear our story hear a little bit about where we come from, what we were like as kids, how we feel like our life shaped us. And then we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of Erin's type, her wing, her tri-type, all those things that um, we are going to go into more depth about later, but at least you'll be able to file it away. We just think it'll, it'll help you get some context for who we are. So Erin, what kind of kid were you? I was a happy kid. I had a very happy childhood. I actually, while I was getting ready for this podcast, called my brother and sister to say, do you remember our childhoods being this great? (laughs) So I have a brother and a sister. Uh, My sister lives close and it's lovely. I get to spend a lot of time with her and her two girls um, and one to soon be here too, another one. Uh, My brother lives in Nashville with his wife and their two boys and soon to be third child who's a girl and we don't see enough of them. So that's hard. I grew up in a Christian family. We went to church on Sundays. We spent a lot of time with our cousins. We grew up as one big gang of kids running around. Looking back, can you see the eight qualities back then? I do remember being very bossy as a child, (laughs) but I'm the oldest too. So I don't know whether that plays into being the oldest. I consulted my brother and sister to say, do you remember me being kind of eight-ish as a child? And man, it was such a great thread we had going. And I laughed so hard at some of the stuff they were reminding me of. And yes, I was very eight-ish as a child, I think. Something you should know is that Aaron and I have known each other since we were... 12, maybe 11? Yeah, 11 or 12. And I can attest to the fact that she very much exuded eightness <laughs> in our young age. To me, she was the one in the room that everything revolved around. 
So my <laughs> recollection is her at the head of mobs of people leading us into crazy adventures. <laughs> like you made things happen, you orchestrated everything, and it wasn't like, do you want to do this? It was, we are doing this. <laughs> And you're coming. And it was like, it's yes, yes, I could yes, see okay. all the fun we could all have together. <laughs> so considering I was an eight as well, she held more power. When we were a kid, it felt like I was kind of coming along under her sway. And I didn't do anything I didn't want to do. That was true. But it all felt like the right thing to do. I was like, yes, uh, this is a good idea. <laughs> I like this idea. I will do this with you. Um, and that included borrowing and quotation marks, borrowing <laughs> this is her dad's vehicle so we could sneak out at night and go to a party, <laughs> even though she was not old enough to drive. So this is where you're going to see the difference of Joe and I. Like, I'm a little bit badass. Joe's a lot badass. My parents were away and Johanna and I needed to get to the other end of the city. And we didn't feel like busing it. I agreed to drive 10 minutes to the closest bus station where we could efficiently get a bus, where Johanna was begging me to just drive to Orleans, you know, 40 minutes away. I couldn't see why rules mattered when we had somewhere to go in the shortest amount of time. That's right. So really chop chop, you know. And I got grounded and I lost my phone. And I remember going back and, and arguing with my dad and saying, you know, I am a good kid. I am 16. I do not drink. I am responsible. This is the worst thing I've ever done. And I remember his face being like, oh, you know, you're right. <laughs> and then I, that was it. I wasn't grounded anymore. My cousins and I started a band. I bet you were the lead singer. The oh, lead no, lead. oh, definitely no, definitely not. I what? was the band manager. Oh, <laughs> Let's be real here. <laughs> I was the band manager. Yes. So I organized the whole event and yeah. invited all the neighbor kids and bought prizes. And oh, yeah, anything I could do entrepreneurial. This is probably the social piece of me. But one time we, <laughs> we got a massive tarp and we propped it up with coolers full of water. And then we filled the tarp and made our own pool. And then we sold memberships to the neighborhood kids. <laughs> Another time I built a library and then I sold memberships to the neighborhood kids. <laughs> I remember when I was still running around without a job, carefree, Aaron was making serious cash. <laughs> you, you always found a way to make money. It was unreal. You just saw what you needed to do and you went and did it. It was yeah. wild. My brother reminded me so kindly that we had a bathroom schedule that I created <laughs> and that no one was allowed to go in before me. <laughs> and if they did, there was halt to pay. <laughs> But something kind my sister reminded me is she reminded me that whenever she needed something for my parents, she called me and used me to go to my parents because she knew I could get whatever it is she wanted from them. We are so excited to share something new we've been working on. We have now launched the Enneagram 8 community. This is a community where Enneagram 8s can come together to feel seen and heard for the heart of who they are, a place where you can just be you. If you're interested in joining us here, go to the Enneagram8community.com to sign up. How did your parents shape you? Well, my parents are not rehearsed in the Enneagram, but if I was going to type my parents, my dad would be a seven wing eight and my mom would be a nine. And I actually think that made for a great combination of parents growing up. I'm not so sure that it gave us a real dose of maybe some of the adult things we were going to face and needed. But as children, I think it made for a very happy childhood. My mom was very, uh, I want to say content, but I think knowing the Enneagram more now, I realized her thoughts were, were mostly like in line with whatever anybody else wanted. And then my dad brought all the fun. And I think I was able to just be an eight and I was able to be free 
and adventurous because my parents supported it. I think having my dad be a seven wing eight probably helped that because he instilled a lot of that in me. He valued everything about you. That was my sense is he, he was not at all threatened by your bold ways. Not at all. He thought it was great. Yep. Yeah, I think my dad was always very proud. And he didn't hold you too tightly. He gave no. you a long leash, so to speak. Yep. You know, yep. you had a lot of autonomy, which yeah. is what eights need. I had a lot of respect for my parents because I felt like I was valued a lot by them. And so I didn't want to disappoint them. I felt free growing up. I felt free to be who I was. I felt valued for who I was. And I think that probably is why the first 30 years of my life were honestly like I lived in a bubble. Are you the same kind of adult as the kid you were, or did something change? And if something changed, can you think of what it was that caused the shift? When I was 30, Derek's dad, he was a man I loved deeply and respected deeply. He dropped dead of a heart attack. And then two months after that, my parents split up, which was a massive shock to all of us, um, having grown up in our little Christian family bubble. So I think things took a turn in my 30s really looking forward to my 40s. (laughs) It has not been an easy 10 years for a lot of reasons, but I think it's, it's slowed me down. And it's caused me to reflect more. And I've been, I've never been bruised. And I've never been damaged the way I have been in the last 10 years. And so when I was 34, 35, I crashed. I think I suppressed everything. I think I don't remember feeling things about my parents splitting. I remember I can name the emotions. I don't remember feeling those emotions. The only thing I remember is that when they separated, I felt it through my whole body. I remember I distinctively remember being in my daughter's kindergarten class, cutting out artwork for the kids. And I remember standing like thinking, I'm not even here. I felt like my whole body was vibrating. My mind was black. (laughs) That was when I was 30. And so when I was about 34, and I had my first panic attack and I had never had a panic attack in my life. I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't breathe. The next six months of my life were horrible. I spent six months in bed. I fought anxiety attacks every day, everywhere I went. I didn't want to go anywhere anymore. I wanted to hibernate in my bed. No one could find anything wrong with me, but I couldn't function. There is nothing harder for an eight than to be helpless felt like my identity was stolen. I felt like I became this person that I didn't recognize and I didn't know anymore. I didn't know how to operate in that space. And I spent a lot of time hating myself for being weak. Someone had said, find a functional doctor. And so I did. Thankfully, we had an excellent functional doctor in Ottawa. And he was the beginning of my journey of getting healthy. And he said, that a lot of it was just suppressing emotions. And my gut was a disaster. We started there. That was the beginning of kind of getting healthier again. I don't think I've ever come back to being who I was before I got sick. And in fact, I do often reference my life before I was sick and after I was sick. Something that that happened in that time is I was forced to be still. And I've never been still in my life. I spent a lot of time in bed and a lot of time reflecting and a lot of time feeling all these things about myself and not liking myself. And then I had to go through kind of like the stages of grief, right? The whole acceptance piece. I don't have the energy I used to have. I'm not the same person I was. That put me in a place of having to feel the feelings because I really did have to grieve the loss of me. And then in turn of that, I kind of had to grieve finally the loss of my family and the loss of Derek's dad and, and just sort of our life as we, as we had it. Things were hard and they hurt. And I finally let myself feel the hurt. It sucks. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It's horrible. But I also learned that this too shall pass. 
when I'm in that horrible pain now and when I let myself be very vulnerable and I sit in it instead of trying to move out of it so quickly, I know it will end. So as horrible and hard as it is when I'm in it, I just tell myself, feel it. Like I literally tell myself, feel it and it will, it, it will go away. Can you tell us a little bit about the flavor of 8UR, so to speak? (laughs) I want to hear a little bit about your wing, why you know that's your wing. I'm definitely 8 wing 7, there's no doubt in my mind. Though, I feel like in my weakness, I easily move into the 9 space. I can use that in a healthy place. I feel almost sometimes the loss of 7, because 7 was so strong for me before, and it's it's not anymore. I don't have the energy level I, I used to have, and I don't know if I'll ever get it back. I have to make peace with that. It is what it is. The nine gives Um, you the ability to rest and to be restored. Yeah. And that's something we need. And so I see it as a bit of a gift you've gained. I still want my seven back. I know, right? (laughs) I feel that loss. You know, the joke was if Aaron looked at a wall and decided it should be another color when you got home that day, it would be, it would be. I helped you (laughs) repaint many things. Many things. Oh, and now I can look at a wall for six months before I get the energy to pick up a yeah. can of paint. My subtype would be social for sure. And I think sexual second. I saw a need in our school council. And so I stepped in and when our school board decided that our kids were going to be moved to a different school based on area. So a bunch of us parents fought. I was the one who was, you know, in the board meetings as the voice of our community. And if I can make change and it's for the right reason, it gives me energy. Right. Having self-preservation last goes a long way to explaining your health crash. Yeah. Because you definitely didn't know how no. to rest and um, take care of your needs. You were too oh, no. busy running. Yep, absolutely. No, I've never been good at taking care of myself. So two is an easy place for me. And in fact, when we were starting to do look into the Enneagram and you were dragging me into this journey a couple of years ago, I was really conflicted on whether I was an eight or a two because the eight was me, you know, 10 years ago or 20 years ago, but the two was more of me now. I love being in two. I love taking care of people. I'm not like you in terms of you are so good at taking care of anybody who needs taking care of. Uh, I'm not good at that. I need to find the energy. And usually it's with my my people in my circle. I will do anything if they need me. I take care of the people around me really well. I am not very good at going after those who I don't get any energy from. How about moving to five? Five is one of my favorite places. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Especially especially in stress. We love the cave. Oh, we love the cave. I do. You know, I have going back to my childhood, there is one memory where we did move churches and that was the year I met Joe. So there's really great things that came from that. Um, but when I was 11 and we were moving churches and my parents were taking me out of this church I loved, uh, we were doing plays and musicals and youth group. And, and I just, it was a very vibrant church with a lot of love. And I felt it as a child and we went to something very different. And I remember being very, very angry. And I went into the basement and pulled the bins off the storage shelves in the storage room. And I crawled up in behind and pulled them back in. And, and I must have stayed there for hours and hours. I was so upset. That was very five of me, I think, to hide. <laughs> I still do it today. You can ask my husband. <laughs> when I am stressed, I shut down. I am able to acknowledge now that I shut down and now I know why I do what I do. So I'm okay to be in that space for a little bit of time because I think it's really healthy, actually. I think we need the rest, but at some point we also need to move again. So I try to be conscious of, I know I'm here for a reason. I've been here long enough. It's time to move. 
Hey, how about tri-type? And we are, again, going to explain this in more detail, but it's a fairly new way of thinking about the Enneagram, but it, it rings very, very true to both of us. And I was trying to understand why I felt so four-ish when none of the former Enneagram literature talked about any move an eight ever makes to four. But it turns out that we actually live out of one particular number in each of the triads, head, body, and heart. And it flavors everything. It really, really changes the quality of your type. What would you say is your tri-type and explain what that looks like? I go from eight to two to seven. That's where I feel the most comfortable. Two is a very comfortable space for me. Like I said, I think I uh, my heart is helping people and loving people well. This is the description of Erin's tri-type. And when I sent it to her, she immediately recognized <laughs> it as, and we both did. It couldn't be more true. So the nickname for her tri-type is the free spirit. And this is what the description says. You like to use your charming, sunny disposition to create an upbeat, positive, and action-packed environment. You're very nurturing to those in your circle of care. Your life mission is to be an instrument of change, transforming difficult situations into moments of inspiration. A true free spirit, you're happiest when you are on the go and helping others to learn to act on their own behalf. <laughs> your blind spot is that you can be so focused on keeping everything positive and honest that you can be too aggressive and fail to recognize the importance of difficult emotions. You also keep busy and in motion to avoid painful feelings. Your growing edge is to recognize that you need to always be positive, upbeat, and free, and that can limit your ability to self-reflect and fully be yourself. <laughs> it couldn't be truer. Honestly, every single word of that is, is me. Here's the description of an eight when the two comes second. The overtly magnanimous and big-hearted eight. Sacrificial, dominant style of relating to others as protector, mama bear quality. <laughs> um, I think what I've learned too over being more still in the last few years is that I'm not still well. <laughs> I'm not, it's, it's not a natural place for me. So I really do, like it said, have to focus on being present. I also think I run people over in love. And I don't mean to do it, but my heart is to go get them and help them. Like we spoke about before, if you don't want to be helped, it's not my place to go there. But I always took it as my place to go there. And it probably harmed some of my friendships in the last few years. I'd like to end this by asking you how the Enneagram shaped your self-awareness. What did you learn because of the Enneagram? I think getting sick put me in a place where I was more willing to explore things that were still. And the Enneagram for me was something that brought energy back to me, but I didn't have to go fight and, and move for. Your stillness allowed you to get inside your head and heart a little to actually do the work that the Enneagram requires. Yeah. So what, what did it teach you? Like, what have you learned that you didn't know? Well, I think my first one is, it's not all mine to do. <laughs> Um, it's, it's taught me actually to be a lot more compassionate with myself because we are labeled as aggressive and I am very aware that people find us aggressive and I feel misunderstood a lot. And I realize now I don't need to squash that. I need to curb that into being gentler with others, but that we are created this way for a reason. And I think that was freeing for me to know that I'm like this on purpose. And it doesn't mean I get to run ragged with my eightness. 
but it does mean that there's a real purpose for it. And when it is my turn to do, those are my skills. And that's what I bring to the table. Well, I love the eight-ish self that you are. (laughs) I love it so much. (laughs) And I love that you are a different brand of eight from me because it definitely, yeah, it, it means that in the end, we always feel home with each other because there's always like a base level of understanding, but we can also push each other in other areas that, yeah. that the other ones find more natural, but that we know will make us more whole as a person. Mm-hmm. So, well, that's Aaron. <laughs> in a nutshell, there's so much more to Aaron, of course, but that's a good starting point. So we want to leave you with this. We'd love to hear whether any of um, Aaron's eightness resonates with you. Are there any things that stand out to you about your own eightness? Do you have any questions for Aaron? Please send them her way. And think about your stories, the kind of kids you were and... How it shaped you. Yeah, absolutely. Into your... That's a huge piece to the Enneagram. You really do have to think about the kind of kids you were because that's when you started to use those coping mechanisms that brought out your your number. Hopefully uh, you go home and this helps give you a starting point to self-reflect a little bit. That's it for today. We hope by now you've realized there's a lot more going on under the surface and you'll continue to follow along as we take you inside the armor.